just good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, I, I was privileged to preach in Michigan, and uh, it's a church plant, so it was small, and it was probably the, the total sanctuary probably would go to somewhere around like here maybe. And so I didn't even have to go down the aisles because everybody was so close to me, you know? And so I, I felt like I could reach out and give fives to the back row almost, you know? If I stood on a chair, I didn't do that. But if I stood on a chair and reached over, you know, I think I could have almost got there. So I uh, didn't use a microphone, uh, which uh, took me back to the Kentucky days because when I started pastoring there, I didn't have a microphone. Uh, and the Lord used that to help me to become louder uh, for, for multiple purposes. Uh, for uh, military life, you know, they like like you to be kind of loud and and uh and also for situations like that it was a blessing as well uh so we're gonna uh, eventually share still trying to work through when that we need to share some about what god did in michigan uh and so hopefully we'll be able to do that soon uh but i'm just going to share a little bit this morning i picked on amber lee and said i was going to call her to come up here but she's shaking her head no so that's not going to happen we're going to be flexible with that this morning uh so i'll just i'll share it myself and then uh and then you'll get to hear from her and, and michael and the other the other members of the team soon, uh, Lord willing. So we're going to be in John 8 this morning, and verse number 12, we're just going to look at one verse today, really really hone on, on one, into one verse, because it's the one verse that kind of captures, I think, what God has been teaching me this entire year, uh, nearly, on and off, and so uh, I'm really excited to be able to share this with you this morning, and grateful to be back, grateful for what God did through Andrew and through the worship and the leadership last week, and uh, just glad to be back together and, and privileged to worship with you this morning. Uh, but you know, one of the things uh, that we do every night, it's a really special time. I can tell as we have our fellowship time that you all like to fellowship, yes? All right, you did not seem to approve of that really well. So let's try it again. So I can tell, because uh, if I didn't have a microphone, we would never get back to it, right? I mean, it'd just be talking and talking. So I can tell you all like the fellowship, yes? yes? Yeah, there we go. Okay, I know. So I, I can hear it, you know. You can't hide it. I see it, you know. No, but uh, but we, you know, one of the one of the most special times of there is our, uh, when we go on mission, is our devotion times, and the times where we gather around and just share testimony of the day. Someone shares a devotion, and we just spend time together, you know, and then in the fast pace of life, isn't that a component that gets left out, just being together? I mean, when we were in small town Kentucky and we would go door to door visiting, you know, sometimes we would go to a door, we would say, okay, we're going to go and cover this area of ground, and we would end up staying at one person's house for like an hour and a half. And we we're like, all right, so we're only going to cover this area today because they would welcome us in and they would just want us to be still with them and to convert and have fellowship. Then I love it. I think it's such an, uh, an incredible privilege to be able to share together. But Amber Lee led the way with the devotion, and that's why I wanted you to come up here. You would tell it better than I will, but she's still saying no. So anyway, so we were on our way up, and it's so it's so incredible, and it's a great reminder to us all, I, I think. And we were on our way up, and on our way up, we managed, we were able to... Uh, to make the trip last longer than what we were expecting it to last. I'll just leave it at that, but... We ran into a lot of rain, a lot of stormy, or, or not really stormy, but rain, and, uh, and it, was, it was dreary, and there was a lot of road work. Apparently, Michigan road works on the road a lot, and, and it was all, all up and through there, and, and so we, we had rain the whole way, and when we almost got there, and I, I feel like God does this so many times, there was this beautiful sunset that, that as the sun was setting, there was a clearing and you could see the beauty in the sunset. And Amber Lee was the first devotion that was shared. And what she said was, it was a great reminder. If I mess it up, be kind to me, okay? It was a great reminder that God is still there even in the rain, even in the storms, that, that God doesn't leave and he still makes his presence known. And I, I love that because I think that's so true, right? Like there, there are people even in our congregation today that's going through maybe a rainy season or a stormy season and you say, I, I just don't understand. I just wish it was over. It's taken forever. And, and the reality, those reminders in his creation cry out to God's faithfulness to be there even when the rain is done, yes? But then the other thing that God does is most every mission trip I go on, God shows a rainbow. 
And I'm a huge fan of rainbows. I don't know if you are. I mean, I will stop traffic and everything else pretty dangerously, try to snap pictures. If a rainbow shows up, I am all about the rainbow because it's just a reminder to me that God is there and God is faithful and it's so incredible. And so the first, uh, first day we were going out, I think it was the first day we were going out to a job and there was blue sky and just a little bit in the horizon of cloudiness, dark cloudiness, and all of a sudden I see this rainbow in just that little piece of cloud. And I was like, wow, you know, Lord, you, it's just a reminder that you are here with us as we are on mission for you. And it was such an incredible reminder. And then later in the week, we saw another rainbow, a full, a full rainbow in the sky, just as God continues to remind us that I am here. And it's so fascinating that that comes usually around stormy times for God to say, I am here. And I'm so encouraged by that because life does get overwhelming. The reason why we miss out on fellowship is because we're too busy, right? And, and the busyness, being too busy doesn't help anything. It actually hurts us. It hurts us mentally. It, hurt, it hurts our fellowship. It hurts our relationship. It's, it relationships, our hospitality. It hurts everything. So in the name of busyness, we are sacrificing something, aren't we? And something that is very, very important, and so when this sunset was happening and these rainbows were coming up, I'm, I'm there snapping pictures of it all and I'm sending all the pictures to Tiffany. And Tiffany's like, wow. But here's the thing about pictures. Pictures don't really do justice to what God has shown you firsthand, right? How many times have we been there, right? I, we went and saw, they had a, an elk kind of reservation type place and we saw these giant elk. We went and saw the elk there eating and I'm snapping pictures of them and, and everything and, and sending them and I'm watching the video and I'm like, oh, this just, isn't, this just isn't the same. I know there's multiple times that I've been to, God's allowed me to go to different places in the world and I realize that I'm trying to capture it in all that I can, but to show you a picture is not the same as you seeing it yourself. It's vastly different. And so I think in light of that this morning, as we go to John, and this is going to be a really simple message because God has really convicted me about this. And in John 8, 12, Jesus is going to tell us something about himself. And one of the things that God has been showing me is that it's not enough for you to hear about Jesus from someone else. You have to see him for yourself. Because, because for me to stand up here and preach with all of my heart and cry out for the Sunday school teacher to teach with all of their heart, for, for whatever, whoever to do it, we can try to paint a picture for you, but that picture doesn't look the same as when you see Jesus yourself. And so, so it's been such a challenge because I've been trying to figure out how do we give invitation? What do we, what do we want it to invite, especially at the schools? Because sometimes the kids get nervous to come up in front of their friends. And my, my, my one goal, it seems like, that God has brought me to is very simple. I want them to see Jesus. And I want to do everything I can to help them to see Jesus for themselves. And not to just listen to what I'm telling them. Because Jesus is a savior that walks beside of us and will reveal himself to us if we'll look for him. Seek and you will find, he says, right? But we gotta be looking for him. Uh, so John 8, uh, if we can stand together and honor the reading, if you can this morning, you're able, if not, that's okay. John 8, 12, I just wanna read one verse to you today um, and, and just, try to, just try to see how Jesus paints this picture for us this morning. John 8, 12 says this, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, this is your word. And Father, this is your service. Lord, you know, we... We do come and we have a, a certain way in, uh, that we, we usually do things, Father, but if, if that's not what you want, we just, we're, we're here for you. So as we read your word and as we study, please help us just to see you. That's, that's what we need, Lord, if we just need you. And so, Father, I just pray uh, that you would have your way in everything that takes place. As we look at the word, look at your, your guidance, Jesus, what you tell us of yourself, and Lord, I pray that we would all be able to see you today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. 
so there's been a couple times here lately that uh, I've been asked to share devotions and things that I wasn't prepared for. Has anyone ever been there? Uh, if you haven't been there, stay around me long enough. I'll pull you in somewhere, okay? And you'll get an opportunity of a lifetime to share a word of God, okay? With someone. But uh, John eight twelve. I was I was in uh, the last day on Tuesday in Michigan. Uh, Miss Linda said, uh, you want to share a devotion before we leave? And I'd been reading that morning. I was like... Yeah, I guess you know I wasn't I wasn't ready necessarily, but God was ready. God knew, and the Spirit worked, and and it was all there. And I found myself reading in John eight, and it was such a such an amazing passage about Jesus here that I I'm so excited to to share it with you today. A picture just doesn't give it justice. So in John eight twelve, uh, there's three parts to this, and we're just going to really focus on this one verse, and we're going to break this one verse down. And it says, "Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world." Uh, and you know Jesus often is referred to as light, right? And I, and I love him described as the light of the world. And light makes all the difference in our life and everything that we do, right? It's all about light. Light is how we see. Light, light exposes things. Light gives guidance and direction. Light is so pivotal to the way that we live life. And even sunlight is necessary for our health and well-being, isn't it? Yo, we even need the light, right? I mean, God has created it so amazing. All the pieces fit together like we need the light. And artificial light isn't enough. We need the sunlight. We need the light that God has created and made, right? Isn't that, isn't that incre incredible how God has done that? And Jesus says, I am the light. And he doesn't just say it here. If you go back in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that this was foretold years and years before Jesus even came to this earth and proclaimed to be the light of the world. And in Isaiah 9, 2, the word of God says this, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. God knew what he was going to do in this great light, his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world. But here's the thing. Here's the trick about that is one of the tactics of the enemy is he has become really good at disguising and mimicking light, hasn't he? He mimics it, and we, and we go after it, and we chase after it if we're not careful, and we end up uh, following a false light, an artificial light, and the enemy becomes very good at that, that kind of thing. And so this, in this particular passage in John 8, what we find is, in the first 11 verses, is the, is the account of the woman caught in adultery. And I think the account, the account of the woman caught in adultery tells us and shows us a couple areas in our world and in life that try to mimic light. Because here's the thing, Jesus is going to say, you and I have got to follow him. And you may say, well, that's a simple thing to do. And it's like, wait a minute now. Sometimes in the name of a lot of other things, we run after what we think is him, but it really isn't him at all. You know, we, we run after all kinds of things. And so let me show you an example of that. I'm just going to tell you the story, but if you want to go into John 8 and follow along in, in, in verse number 1, uh, you can follow along. But basically the situation was this. This one, Jesus was, was teaching in the synagogue, right? Or he, he was teaching. And you know how aggravating it is when you get interrupted when you're teaching anyway. And so the Son of God is teaching the Word. And I, and I read that and I thought, wow, I mean, you're, you're there teaching the Word. And, and all of a sudden, these religious folks, the Pharisees, the scribes, they drag this lady in front of him and throw her down right in front of him. Now, could you imagine this scene as you're trying to teach? And, and then all of a sudden, someone bursts in and interrupts that makes you think, they're not really focused on the main thing as the Son of God himself is their teaching. And so, so they burst in and it says they, they throw her down. That's just the image that I get. And they say, here you go, Jesus. She's been caught in adultery in the very act. And the law gives us every opportunity to stone her to death, to kill her. But what do you say? And I look at that and I'm like, okay, so on one side, this is what we see is that one of the areas that mimics light and proper direction is religion. Religion will say that, that I am the right way, you need to follow me. The religious leader said, the Pharisees said, I, we are the right way, we have our ducks in a row, we know what's going on, we know all of the laws and the laws that we felt were lacking, we even added some, and so you need to look to us for guidance and light because we have everything in place. But what do we see about the religious people? 
They're very condemning. They're very judgmental. They're very rigid and legalistic. And one of the things that religion often leaves out in the crazy pursuit for structure and proper procedure is they leave out love. So the thing is, is that if you leave out love, you're not following God, right? Because God is love. So there, there's no way that you and I can say, oh, well, I follow God, but all I want to do is condemn. All I want to do is drag people through the muck and the mire. All I want to do is expose people for their sin. That, that, is not, that is not loving. That is not what we see out of Jesus here. And so one side is mimicking light and saying, follow me, when all reality says they're not following God at all. And so they're leading people astray. Listen, sometimes in the walls of the church, we can get busy with ministry and not be serving Jesus at all. We can be busy, and this is the pot calling the kettle black, okay? So this is hitting me right in the square right here, about right here, uh, the whole time. But we can get busy doing stuff and forget the one we're doing the things for. So there's been, there's been multiple times in my life and ministry even where this is the case and multiple times even as we show up today and things are just so busy and so many things are happening and this one's struggling and that one's trying, these things are going on and we're thinking about all these other things from the moment that we get up in the morning sometimes to the moment we step foot on this property and we forget that we are here for him and him alone. We forget that. And, and, and so, so often what happens is we get burnt out and we get frustrated. And when you don't see Jesus, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to be loving. You're going to be bitter. And let me tell you what happens a lot of times in churches. Don't churches and folks within the church become bitter oftentimes? And then out of the root of bitterness, which the word of God warns us against, comes division. And out of division comes a church split and argument and generations that are impacted and affected by this. Why? Because so often we go full bore ahead, not for Jesus, but for ministry. And sometimes even the church at Ephesus in Revelation says, hey, you know, God says, you're, you look good. You're very busy. You have a lot of stuff going on, but what are you doing it for? Because you've lost your first love, right? And so many times I feel like that that can happen within the walls of the church if we're not careful. And one of the things God has taught me in Jamaica and in, in Michigan is when everything else is stripped away and you're only looking to Jesus, everything is different about everything that you do. Everything changes. And that's what happens with church plants is a lot of times is that they don't have all the constructs in place yet. All they focus on is the people because that's all they have, right? Sometimes they don't even have a building. And so they pour into the people. They love on the people. They spend time in fellowship together. There, there is all of this back to the basics is kind of what I think. And, and everything is stripped away. And, and God has impacted my life in that because sometimes in all of our constructs and in all of our busyness and in all of our makeup, we forget about the main things, prayer and Bible study and fellowship because life is just so quick that we don't take time for these fundamental things in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. It's not something new, though. It's been happening for years. Leonard Ravenhill talks about how years ago he died. He went home to be with the Lord in 1994, and he talked about the fact that when it comes to like things like prayer, you have a prayer meeting and nobody comes. He says, if you have Bible study, there may be tons of people come, but for prayer meeting, no one comes. And it's like, why would no one come for a prayer meeting? Everything that we do, we do relying on him because without him, we can do nothing. And so even the worship service, even, even our Sunday schools, everything, I hope that before you all even come here to church that you're spending diligent time in prayer because you need that time to prepare your heart and mind for what God is gonna do when you show up, Right? Because if I don't have that time, my mind is all over the place. And these past two few, uh, couple days, I've really had a hard time in my prayer time focusing on just him. I've been thinking about this. I've been going over here. I've been doing this. And, and God tells me, he shows me my incredible need for just him. Just be with me. Stop thinking about all these other things. 
So religion will do that, and it does it to us all the time. We, we run in, guns are blazing. We say, this is the way things are supposed to happen. We have this certain expectation, and, and so much so that if it doesn't happen that way, sometimes we can get really uh, upset and we don't like it, but the reality is is that we are here for him, and so whatever he wants to do, that's what we're here for, right? However he wants to lead, whatever he wants to do, whatever direction he wants to go, uh, but, but religion will come in and say, you have to have construct. You have to have these clear, concise lines drawn so that you can do what God wants you to do. And so they bring this lady out and they throw her in front of Jesus and they say, the law says stone her, but what do you say? And I look at Jesus here and I say, I see this like between a rock and a hard place. Have y'all heard that saying? Yeah? Okay, all right. I didn't know if I was a Kentucky thing. I'm not sure. I'm a little disconnected. I've been up here too long. Anyway, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, so between a rock, because if he says, yeah, the law says that stoner, then he's wrong in God's eyes. And he knows that, right? He knows that that's not the proper response here. But if he says, uh, no, you don't stoner, he knows he's going to be condemned by, by the Pharisees. So, so he's in this spot that's really challenging. And this lady has been thrown out in front of him. And she is guilty. She is not putting up any argument here as to her being right. Uh, you know, it's always also interesting, which we know the guy wasn't brought, so there's wrong all the way around here. And here is the Savior of the world in the midst, the light. So you see, in what seems like a very dark situation, there is one place of light in the middle of it. There is only one right answer here. And the, and the, and the God-man himself is the one that has the answer. Uh, you know, on that side, the religious bring her out. On the other side, sometimes the world and sin will convince us that that's the way that you need to go. You know, sometimes the world will say uh, that, that as long as the sin isn't that big, it's not that big a deal, yeah? Like our culture will, will teach us and will tell us that, that as long as it's not a big lie or you're not murdering someone or you're, you know, it's just love, it's just this, and we'll try to convince people sometimes that that is the direction you need to go. Don't do what the church says. The church has said it for years. People have got upset. People have got frustrated. You need to do things this way, and they propagate another false light on that side, don't they? So this woman caught in this lifestyle of sin, maybe thinking nobody's going to know. I don't know, but the reality is, is that oftentimes that's what the enemy will do. He'll pull us away from God little by little by convincing us that it's okay. It's not that big a deal. You know, one of the things that I've heard people say that most about is, uh, I'm getting warm, sorry, uh, is, um, is about lying. Well, it's just a little lie. It's just a, just a white lie. It's just a fib. It's not, not, not no big deal. But the thing that we have to see is that when God calls it sin, we need to treat it seriously, right? We can't allow those things to enter into our lives and into our eyes and separate us from a reconciled relationship with God. Like we have to treat it serious like God intends it to be serious. And so we have in this, in this scenario, we have both, both sides that seem to be drawing and in the middle is the true light of the world and he is the only light of the world and he is the only one that we should be following after the son of God himself and each side is like, well, I was living in this lifestyle. This side says, well, you need to be condemned and killed because of this and in the middle is Jesus and I look at Jesus and I say there's no right answer what do you do and he says well I bend down and I write on the ground and I'm like who does that <laughs> right like I mean but in this scenario that's the only that's the right thing to do and we all speculate and we say, well, what's he writing? But because the eldest to the youngest go, you know, I have speculation that he might have been writing out their sin on the ground there. I don't know. Uh, and then they all leave one by one and the oldest would have had more than the, than the youngest. And so that's why they leave first. That's just my speculation. But I, I don't need to know. All I know is what Jesus did was the right thing. But this is what I want us to see before we move on. Is that the woman was standing there, and this is what I shared with the Michigan team, and her only hope was the light that was standing in front of her. There, there, there was no other hope. She was dead. There was no other hope. If the religious, the religious got their way, she was dead. If the world got their way, she was still dead. You see, because sin will lead you to destruction. 
And so even though she may not realize it at the time, like all I see is, is her and Jesus because everyone else goes away. And in that moment, all that she sees is Jesus. And so she's there before him. They've, they've plucked her out wrongfully. They didn't bring the other guy. And they threw her in front. And there she stands. And Jesus is there. And these are crying killer. And, and, and she, is, she is hopeless except for this one guy who is writing on the ground. And I want you to see this because in the midst of our busyness, we forget that we too were that woman standing in front of Jesus, that man, that woman. We don't take time to think about that. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've not given your life. You've not seen Jesus today. But what you need to understand is there was a moment in time, especially if you were born again, where all there was was you and Jesus. And the only hope you had was him. That was it. Like, like, because if, if judgment comes and we die, we are going to be apart from God. We are going to hell for all eternity according to the word of God without Jesus Christ. If, if judgment comes, we are in trouble. We know that the enemy is wanting to distract and to draw away. He doesn't want you to see Jesus. And so in that moment in time, there was a moment that Daniel Keaton stood there before Jesus as a sinner without hope except for in one, the light of the world. And it's such a tragedy that we can begin there and then so quickly we can run off to so many other corners and lose sight of right there. It doesn't doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian, Jesus is still my only hope. It doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, how, how sophisticated I get or, or we get or, uh, sophisticated me doesn't go together, but how, you know, you get the, you get the idea. Uh, it doesn't matter how far we, we move along, how much we know, Jesus is still the only hope. It doesn't matter how much ministry we've been a part of, how many mission trips we go on, how much evangelism we do. There's never a time where the light of the world is not our only hope. We are always need to be reminded that the reason that we do everything we do is because there was a rescuer that God sent down to give us hope when we were hopeless. And it's that Jesus that I so badly want the world to see. Because the world, once you see that woman, could you imagine, as she saw Jesus, she never even gave an argument and said, no, I didn't do it, I'm not guilty. She knew that she was guilty, but Jesus' instruction to her was, go and sin no more. Has no one condemned you? She said, no, man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so in that moment, this is what you see is that the light of the world does speak truth, but he does it in love in such a way that transforms lives. And church, if we're gonna see life transformation, we've gotta do just like Jesus did. We don't run out with, with, with hammers drawn or guns ablazing and say, ah, oh, we wanna condemn, how can you do this? No, we run out in loving truth just like our Savior did. Jesus is the light of the world. So I want to challenge you with this. Let's peel back the layers and evaluate, are you following him or has something else taken his place in your life? And let me say this, that ministry doesn't necessarily mean it's him. That that even coming to worship doesn't necessarily mean it's him. Because I'm not, I I am wise to the, the fact that there could be people sitting out here right now that's thinking about other things than him. You know, and a lot of times, you know, if you, when you think about, when you look at Paul and you see the light of the world, a lot of times Jesus is secondary to our evangelistic effort, right? We'll go out and we'll invite people to church. We'll go out and we'll provide cotton candy. We'll go out and we'll, we'll provide bouncy houses. We'll go out and we'll do all these other things, which are not bad things. But if it's not him, if he is the one that we're following, he will be the first one on our lips when we go out. Does that make sense? He is the light of the world. Now look at, look at what the second part of this verse says. 
It says in in 12b, we'll call it, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. This is very important. He that followeth me. It does not say he that followeth religion. It does not say that he that followeth the, the, the trail of good things. It does not say that he that is kind to his neighbor. It does not say that as long as you get along with everybody. It says he that followeth me will not walk in darkness. I believe that sometimes, even in the church, we can walk in darkness because we're not following him. We're following our own thoughts. We're following what other people say. We're following our own constructs. And sometimes it can be so much that we wouldn't even know his voice if he spoke to us. Jesus says, those who follow me shall not walk in darkness. The Lord has taken, has blessed me to go to Jamaica and Michigan, to two places to help me to see this clearer this year. And both of the places, what, what I found was that all, everything was stripped away except for him. So what, what looked like, what it looked like was so vastly different. You know, and when, when everything is stripped away except for him, prayer rises in importance. Prayer for souls, prayer for sick, prayer for everything rises in importance. The gospel and evangelism rises in importance. Going out rises in importance because when everything is stripped away and you're not confined by all the busy and everything else, your focus can be on just following him. And when that's the case, the word of God goes out mightily and God does what only God can do to allow people to be drawn to himself to show his greatness to the world around. But, but, but it's hard to do when there's things getting in the way. And artificial is not enough. to You can't substitute artificial and call it good. Right? So it's so interesting to me, we must follow him, the word says, because it's only in him that we don't walk in darkness. And that's really, really important to see because there have been moments in my life, and I've shared those with you before, some of you before, where I thought I was doing a good thing, but it may have not been God's thing, and when it wasn't God's thing, I wasn't really following Jesus because this is the way we do sometimes. We enter into the church, and we just enter into this fast-flowing stream, right? I mean, you know it, right? When you come into the church, I remember when I first came here, it was told me, like, the current moves quickly here. You've got to jump in. And when you jump in, all of a sudden you're whisked away and you're plugged in here and everything is moving fast and you're trying to find grips and you're doing that all without first being able to settle in and just know him. Because when you, when, you, when you enter into a stream, sometimes you don't even know where you need to be because everything's moving so fast. I fully believe, as the Bible tells us, that when you're led here and you're called here, that God does that for a reason, that God has a place he wants you to serve in his body, and he has a purpose for your life being here. And sometimes we move so quickly and life stays so busy that we don't even know where that is. And some of us have been here for years and may not truly know, where does God want me serving here? And then we jump into somewhere, and it's moving so fast, and that's not where God wants us to be, and what happens when that happens? It doesn't work. We get burnt out. We get frustrated. We get sometimes divisive. We get troubled. Why? Because you're not following Jesus. You're just trying to jump into a spot. But God has a spot for you because God sees you and knows you. God has a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a place he wants you to lead. Uh, he wants you to, uh, to serve. But, but the reality is, is that when we just do things, and I'll use a phrase here that may not be most professional, but that's just me, willy-nilly. You know, when we do things willy-nilly, we don't, even, we don't take time to think and to process what God, where, where, and cry out to him, where do you want? If we're following Jesus, then we say, Jesus, everything that you do, we want to do. Why do we talk about studying the word so much? It's because in that word, you can study Jesus 
and him alone and see how he does it and how he does it is always the right way but it's not always the way that I end up doing it when I go it on my own. The woman with the issue of adultery that was cast in front of him, who in here would have said, I would have bent down and rode on the dirt? Probably nobody, right? That's the right way. He is the light of the world. He says, and, and, and those that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, he says. And then finally he says this, but shall have the light of life. And we know that, that in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So true life. And here's the thing, and God makes it so clear. It's like the light that just is revealed is that why do we stay discontent? Why are we struggling? Why are we burnt out? Why are we... Uh, are we divided? Why? Because you're not looking at the light and when you don't see the light, you're not going to have true life and understand what that's all about. You see the simplistic style of worship on these missions where you just gather in a circle and you share testimony about what God's done. Why does God work so powerfully through that? Because that's the way God's been doing it ever since the church began. In the book of Acts, what did, what, when did God move? What were they constantly doing? They were together, they were in one accord, and a lot of times it was filled with a lot of prayer. And what happened when those components were present there, God showed up, didn't he? Because they were still, and they were seeking, and they were looking for him, just him. And so chains would fall off, and ground would shake, and prison doors were open, and lives were healed. Why? Because they just wanted him. They just wanted him. And when we give our life to Jesus, sometimes that's the closest we get to him in all the rest of our life walking with him. Do you realize that? Sometimes that moment of salvation, that moment when you, when you fall before him and you finally see him, right? And you finally see who he is. Sometimes that moment, and usually when that person gets truly born again, they get up and you're like, oh my goodness, everything has changed. They're so excited. They're so vocal. But then what happens is this. Unfortunately, sometimes they can even get into the church and the church can distract them from the one that they first fell in love with with all the busy. Plug in here, we need you here, come over here. And what happens when you distance yourself from the light is it doesn't expose and look as appealing as what it did at the beginning. Most people that I've ever been around that was born again and they truly met Jesus, they come out of that meeting transformed. That's not to say that they're not fine-tuned everywhere. It's a sanctification process, right? But they're transformed. But then unfortunately what happens is as time goes on, some of that vigor and boldness wanes. And pretty soon what ends up happening is sometimes they can just show up and that's a victory in their life. And you look at that and you say, well, how is that possible? How can that be? Well, it's because that any other thing, and the devil is very good at this, the enemy, this can happen so easily, any other thing that distracts us from the light and life will not allow us to enjoy the true life that Christ has for us. Even when that life is riddled with storm and difficulty, it's still better to walk with him than to try to do it on your own and avoid all the storms that you can see. It's still better with him. And so when what happens, I'm afraid, and what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that we think and we can convince ourselves that we can still live life and just do this thing our own way. And Jesus says, no, to truly know life, you've got to know him. So I believe that Jesus changes everything. I truly believe that when you see Jesus, your life will never look the same. I believe that when you're going through that storm, your hope in that storm is to see Jesus. 
I believe that when you're going through that hardship or, or when life is heavy or when burdens are great, even when life gets busy and you're overwhelmed and you're frustrated easily and, and all of these things, why do you think that our society and culture has become so busy? Do you not think the enemy knows what's going to be a distraction for people? Of course he probably knows. He's been doing it for years, right? If he can get you so busy and get me so busy that we forsake all of the key components that were there that God moved in and throughout so prevalently back in the beginning of the church, why would he not do that? Because I'll tell you what busyness does for me. Busyness frustrates. Busyness burns out. Busyness tires. Busyness prevents you from sharing Jesus with people because you got an appointment to get to. Busyness is a killer. We think in our culture that it's productive, but that's not true. Sometimes it may be, but a lot of times it's not. Most other places that I've worshipped, they, uh, they don't have uh, that same emphasis on busy. They're willing to uh, remain. They're willing to wait. They're willing to prioritize and put God and people first. And so they do that very well. And, and as a result, you know, you see God, you feel God. It's just such a different mentality there than what it often is here. And so my challenge, I think our challenge from the word is this, is that for you and I as a church to be what God wants his church to be, it has to be a church that's focused on Christ first. Focused on Christ first, not on the way that we've done things, not on necessarily what we think best. It's always focused on Christ first because he is the first from the dead, right? He is the savior of the world. He is the son of God. And so many times we can get so inundated with so many other things. And it's like, I feel like Jesus is like, I'm here. When are you going to notice me? He is the light of the world. The way that we prevent walking in darkness is by following him and him alone. I will always try to point you to him, but you need to go to him yourself. Because here's the thing. I can paint a picture of Jesus as I've been blessed and privileged beyond what I deserve to see him. But that's not going to be enough for you. You've got to see him yourself. So God has given us his word and all throughout his word, you know, it's so amazing. What has God done in his word? His whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. You notice that? Even way back in the Old Testament, his plan for rescue is Jesus. The sacrificial system, it's Jesus. There's going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to send a rescuer. I want you to see, even, even up to John the Baptist, the forerunner before Christ, what was he doing? He was proclaiming Jesus. It's all pointing to him. God is crying out, church, look at my son. He is light. He is life. He will save you from the darkness, but you've got to see him. You've got to see him. And a picture that's painted for you at church will not be enough. We become satisfied with reading books that people write about him. That's not enough. That's a picture that someone else is painting for you. You don't have to take someone else's word for it. He will show himself to you. We, we have become satisfied with listening to other people proclaim and other people's thoughts and other people's opinions. And we have got so often in the name of growing deeper away from this and reading someone else who's already went deeper and is propagating that to you. There will never be a substitute for him. It has to be him. So the challenge for us is this, as we get into the word ourselves, and I'm gonna, I wanna be cautious with this, I don't, I'm not saying that devotions and everything are, are bad necessarily, but you need to read about Jesus, your Redeemer and your Savior and Lord yourself. And you may say, well, I don't understand it. Here's something that may make you really worried and nervous. 
I don't either. But the word is alive. And the spirit is there. And so in all of my lack of understanding, God is powerful enough, is mighty enough, is great enough to reveal what he wants us to see even when we don't always understand. If you will open it up and read, and it may take a minute, you may say, well, and John's a great place to begin because John is all about Jesus, right? And it's a great place to start reading. If you will open it up and think to yourself, I just, and pray, I just want to see you. And as Jesus shows up, just write that down. I, I saw Jesus here. I saw Jesus here. What will begin to happen is your mind will begin to become transformed, Right? Because now you're looking for him. I'm looking for him in the scripture and then you're gonna look for him in life. Well, Jesus, where are you gonna show up today? I wanna just see you. But that doesn't happen by reading other people's opinions. It only happens by reading this. It mainly happens by reading this. We've got to get into the word of God. Our invitation today is very simple. And I, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this yet, but I wanna challenge you with this. Will you this week open up the word, one of the gospels, you can open it up to any of the gospel, go to the gospels this week, read in the gospels and just write down as you read where you see Jesus and what you see Jesus doing. Will you do that this week? Just begin to only focus on him. The greatest, he is the greatest one, the one I love studying more than all else, and I'm sure you're the same. And, and will you get into a gospel this week and just read and, and pick out where God reveals Jesus? This is not what I am saying. This is what God's word says to us about his son. Will you get in there and read and just pick out Jesus this week? But I also want to give an invitation for those that may be here that don't know Jesus. And I'm not going to take for granted that just because you come to church that you've seen him yourself. You know, a lot of times I do. A lot of times I make a lot of assumptions and I say, well, everybody in here is probably saved, but I'm not sure that's the case. So I'm going to give you this invitation. We are that, that woman that was in sin cast before Jesus. You need to see that. Those that are online today, you need to see that. Like it doesn't, it's not so any of us can be better than anyone else. All of the world, all of mankind are at this same place where we are before a holy God and we are in trouble, we are lost in our sin and the only hope that we have is this God man, Jesus Christ. He's all we've got. The world and the enemy wants this. This one may say this. This one may say this. There's a world out there now that says it doesn't have to be just Jesus. But the word of God says it's only him. Don't lose that. We are before the son of God. And he's our only hope. But it's not enough to know information about him. You need to meet him yourself. I can tell you about him, but you need to meet him. Others can share him. You may see him in other people's lives, but you need to meet him. Because even though Jesus died for others, Jesus also died for you. He sees you. He paid your price. He suffered greatly. So it's you, you and I could be rescued. So often I think that we disconnect ourselves from that moment where we just stood before him and were broken. And let me tell you, there's many moments after that moment where we stand before him and broken. Because just because we get saved doesn't mean we're perfect. We still sin, we still struggle, but Jesus is the redeemer. So maybe you're here today, maybe this is you. You met him once, long time ago. But you've not really laid your eyes on him intimately here lately. So you feel bogged down, you're struggling, you're convicted, maybe you're broken. And you say, ah, if I could just see him again, like I saw him then. It would make all the difference. Let me say this to you. You can't 
say that while you have everything fastened right where you are and say, but I'm not gonna move to get to you. I just want, I expect you to do it all for me. He's already done that. But if you will step, if you will seek, if you will strive to just see him again, he is faithful. where you are today but don't get comfortable in the things that are binding and confining you there is joy life and hope in Jesus you don't have to walk in darkness God has sent the great light will you come to him today dear heavenly father God Please help us just to see you. Lord, this is your church. Father, forgive me. When I so often want to just try to take control of things I have no right to take control of in my own life, in your church. Lord Jesus, I feel like the greatest thing that this church and every church across the land needs is to see you. We just just need you because when we had no hope, when we were lost in our sin, you showed up and you suffered greatly. And Lord, may we never forget what it cost, not us, but you, for our salvation. Lord, I pray that hearts and minds, even if they're at their seed online, that we will all with one accord just run to you in prayer at the altar, that we will just run to you. And it's in Jesus, your precious name we pray. We ask you to have your way, whatever that may be. It's in your name we pray. 